Peter says that the world that then was perished. You and I live in a different world than the folks did before the flood. It is a completely different world. And I'm going to go through and, and uh, do an exposition of the scriptures. And if you can stand, I'm going to ask you to stand. If, you, if you're not able to stand, that's okay. I understand some, some of us have trouble standing. I, uh, I, I feel your pain. But uh, I want to ask Adam, if he will, to read. Can we get you a microphone, brother? Okay. And read along with us in, in Genesis chapter 7. And I want you to feel the weight of this. This is the end of Noah's world. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come to the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and female, also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights. I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah, with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood of clean animals, of animals that were unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on the day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of the heavens were opened up, and the rain was on the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons were with him, and entered the ark. And they, they and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went to the ark to Noah, two by two, all of flesh in which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now the flood was on the earth forty days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven was covered. The waters prevailed fifteen cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And all the flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts of every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man. And in those nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on dry land died. So he destroyed all the living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed in earth 150 days. Lord, I just thank you so much. And I'm humbled, Lord. I'm humbled to be here today in your presence and feeling your Holy Spirit move. I'm humbled that I could take part in your communion and um, had a bread of, bread of life and the blood of Jesus poured on me. I love you, Lord, and I praise you. 
for what you're going to do in this service today. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for healing right now in his word. Come alive in our hearts, our souls, and our spirits, Lord. Help us learn to where we can grasp onto a word that we can have hope and faith for this, this, this week, Lord, that we can go out and share the love of you. I love you, Lord, and I praise you. In your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Adam. Such a somber passage of scripture. Uh, it's the end of a world. Let's go through this. Um, I'm going to try to cover, cover the chapter as quickly as possible. We are going to observe the Lord's Supper at the end of our uh, preaching this morning. And you don't have to be a member of the church to participate in communion with us. Uh, you just have to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, children that have accepted the gospel and believe, they're welcome to take communion too. That's, uh, that's, that's our stance on communion. You don't have to be a member, but you do have to be a member of the body of Christ. And uh, So look forward to that. We'll have a time of examination too um, in the altar call. You know, the Bible says a man should uh, let a man examine himself before he takes of the cup. And uh, if we've got any sin that we're holding on to, let's confess that before the Lord. If we've got any hard feelings that we need to get rid of, any bitterness or resentment, uh, I believe we need to deal with that too. And that goes for every day, amen, not just for communion. Uh, life is too short to be carrying that stuff around. All right, Genesis 7, verse 1, the Lord says unto Noah, Come you and all your house into the ark, for you have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Now, uh, this is the first time that God says to anybody to come to a human being. This will be the first of many invitations. Uh, one of the famous, most famous ones we know of, Jesus Christ said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Does anybody know what the word rest means in Hebrew? It means Noah, interestingly enough. That's what Noah's name means, rest or comfort. The end of the Bible, uh, it, it ends in the book of Revelation with an invitation to come. Whosoever will, whoever wants to drink of the water of life, let him come freely and drink. And that's a wonderful invitation to each and every person that's listening to me today. Whether you're on the FM transmitter in the parking lot, whether you're here, whether you're watching on Facebook or listening to the podcast, today is the day of salvation. And God's invitation to Noah is the invitation to you. Come into the ark. Jesus is the ark of safety. He is the one that will save your soul. Interesting fact here is that the thou, if you've got a, a good old KJV like me, uh, the thou there is plural, but the thee is singular. So Noah alone is righteous. Um, and his sons and daughter-in-laws were beneficiaries of this but they still had to come aboard the ark too. God doesn't have grandchildren. Now, as we read this, I want you to notice the repetition of words. I want you to recognize the repetition of numbers. And I want you to, uh, to pay close attention to the universality of the language here. Because there are some that would... Most people in the world don't believe in a worldwide flood. But even among those that believe, there are those that say, well, it was just a local flood. And, and I don't have time to get into all of the issues with that. Uh, I wanted to put a chart up here, but we're not doing PowerPoint today. Of all the reasons, there's about 20-something uh, why I could show you why it's not a local flood. It's a universal flood. But pay attention to the, the universal language, all, every, living thing, those, those kind of words. Uh, pay attention to the numbers. 
Pay attention also to the parallels between creation. Because what we have here, and I don't know really how to say it uh, other than in a, uh, an improper and uncouth way, is you have the uncreation of the universe. This is a reversal of what God did in Genesis 1. Uh, he's going to destroy. And the Bible makes it clear that this was not just some random uh, weather patterns that happened. God himself, he said, I, the Lord, am bringing the flood upon the earth. So we see the sovereignty of God. We see also that Noah's not doing any talking here. God's doing all the talking, and Noah is acting. Verse 2 says, A very clean beast you shall take to you by seven, or seven pairs, male and the female. Now one thing that might pique your interest is how did Noah know which ones were clean and unclean? Uh, we don't have the law of Moses yet. And, uh, and up until this point, up until Genesis 9, man is not allowed to eat animals. He's a vegetarian. Uh, God gave Adam a vegetarian diet, and that was not repealed until after the flood. So it's interesting here that he takes three pairs of, uh, of clean animals and another. The seventh animal, most Bible scholars believe, was for sacrifice. There again, hearkening back to the story of Cain. How did Cain know? Well, I believe these people knew, even though we, we're not told what was clean and unclean and what was required. They were. They, they understood. Or it could be that God gave Noah the discernment to, to do that himself. I don't know. But either way, Noah somehow was to know, either by God's direct command or by Spirit inspiring him what was clean and what was unclean. And notice there's no uh, non-binary uh, animals on the ark. They're, all, they're either male or female. Amen? Okay. And, and we laugh about that, but listen... The world is, Satan is, is attacking everything that's in the book of Genesis. He attacks creation. He attacks biblical marriage. Uh, he attacks sexuality, gender. He, he's attacking all of these things. And he would love for you to believe that the flood is nothing but a myth. It's just a fairy tale. But I still believe that God's word is true. Amen. And it may seem foolish or it may seem goofy to, to my peers, uh, to, to those in the world. But I still believe that Noah was a real person that he lived in the ancient world and that God destroyed the world with a flood. Amen. I still believe it, whether the world believes it or not. Okay, verse 3. Also the fowls, or the birds, by sevens, the male and the female. Notice again. Now why is he asking for male and female? Because they are the only ones that are able to reproduce and to create life for the repropagation of, of the animal kingdom. To keep seed alive upon the face of the earth. Verse 4, for seven days I will cause it to rain. For yet seven days I will cause it to rain upon the earth. Forty days and forty nights. Now this is interesting to me. And I was talking to my dad yesterday and I said, you know, this whole seven day thing has got me really bum fuzzled or bamboozled. Because if you read the commentaries, they'll tell you that the seven days was seven days of final grace. For the world. And, and I do believe that if anybody had decided to get on the ark, God would have let them in if they'd have really wanted to. But they've had a hundred and something years to repent. And God has told Noah that him and his family are the only ones that are coming on board. So that troubled me. And I thought, well, what's the seven days for? Now the rabbis teach, and they teach all kind of stuff, but the rabbis teach that the seven days were to mourn Methuselah because Methuselah died. Uh, before the flood. His name was prophetic, remember? When Enoch named him, Methuselah means when he dies it shall come. 
So God has given the people plenty of warning, or his death shall bring some, some uh, variation of that. And it, that may be true. That certainly may be true. Uh, we know that Joseph mourned for Jacob seven days at the end of the book of Genesis. So maybe the seven days were for Methuselah. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. I think the seven days are hearkening back to creation. Because God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh. And what God is about to do is he's about to reverse the seven days of creation. That's what I think. I think we're supposed to hearken back to the seven days of creation, which is just a few chapters before. Now, I wouldn't start a new church over it, but I think that that's, uh, I think I'm on to something here. And I give God the, the praise for that. Seven days. God is about to uncreate uh, the universe. A very, very sobering thought, isn't it? Notice it says, every living substance I have made, will I do what? I will destroy. Now, God doesn't relish punishment. I was reading in Lamentations this morning, and it says that God does not afflict willingly, that he doesn't, God doesn't relish judgment. Judgment is always a means of last resort. Methuselah, right, his name means the flood will come. Well, who was the oldest person who ever lived? Methuselah. I don't think there's any accident there. God is showing that he's giving man as much time as he possibly could before pulling the, uh, the proverbial trigger. Verse 5 shows the, import, the obedience of faith. Noah did some of what God told him to do. Is that what it says? Noah did all that God commanded him to do. Now what if Noah had spent a hundred something years building this boat and I believe Noah was probably a wealthy man. I believe that he financed this whole operation. Probably wasn't cheap. And I believe he probably had people he had hired to help. That's just my conjecture. But I believe that Noah was probably a wealthy man. And Noah was going to leave all of that behind because he believed God. But what if Noah had spent all that time building the ark and then he thought to himself, you know what, this is just crazy. Because you know the devil was in his ear just like he is with your, you and me. And thought... You know, this is crazy. You still got time to back out of this. You can just say, well, I was going through a phase, you know. I just wanted to build this huge thing here in my driveway. Good thing Noah didn't have a homeowners association, right, because they would have surely protested that. But anyway, um, what if he had, I believe that God's obedience was necessary. He had to come on board the ark, and we do too. Verse 6 says, Noah was 600 years old when the floods of water was upon the earth. Now, uh, pay attention to this because after this, you're not going to see lifespans like this anymore. They're going to drastically go down. And all of this is documented so precisely. All of this reads like a historical document. And I believe it's because God wanted, to be, wanted it to be recorded as historical fact. Uh, There'd be no reason to put the details of the dates and all the ages and all that if, if it's a myth, right? Why, why bother? Verse 7, Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark. Why? Because why? Because of the flood. Because he believed what God told him. Now this is uh, it's important, significant, because up until this point, it had never rained. In Genesis chapter 2, we don't, we don't have to turn there. But you can trust me, and if you don't, look it up for yourself later, that there was a mist that came up out of the ground and watered the earth. There had never been rain, okay? But there was a mist that came up out of the earth. 
and watered. So Noah went into the ark. Um, we're told several times in this narrative that Noah went into the ark. And that's, beloved, there's no other way to be saved but to come into Christ, to be in Jesus. Again, verse 8, of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean and of fowls upon everything, okay? Verse 9 says, there went in two into, uh, uh, unto Noah unto the ark. Is that what your Bible says? They came to Noah. Noah didn't go hunting for bears or tigers or whatever, lions, uh, zebras. They came to him. Now, I want you to see here another parallel from creation. After God created Adam, you know what God did? God brought all the animals to Adam. Remember that? And he, he named them. So what we're seeing here is that Noah is going to be the new Adam. We're seeing the, the animals are being brought to him just like God brought them to, to Adam. And that should have been a witness to the whole world, shouldn't it? Shouldn't the world have taken notice when they saw all of these wild animals, birds and whatever, going into the ark? Shouldn't people have thought, man, something, you know, maybe Noah's on to something here? But it just shows how hardened the heart had become. That even signs and wonders won't convince. You know. uh, the man in hell, the rich man in hell, he said, why don't you send somebody to witness to my family? And Jesus said, listen, or actually uh, Abraham says in the parable or the story, he says, even if somebody comes back from the dead, they won't believe it if they won't believe Moses and the prophets. So Noah's been preaching for 100 years and they won't believe him. He's been building this boat and so even the animals are not going to convince uh, the hardened heart. And notice again the emphasis on God. Uh, Noah did what God commanded him to do. Verse 10 says, It came to pass after the seven days. Again, here's that number seven, completion, perfection, hearkening back to creation. And after those seven days, we find the uncreation takes place. Verse 11, again we have this, the date, precise dating here. The 600th year of Noah's life in the second month of the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of... There's two things I want you to pay attention to. Number one, the fountains of the deep were broken up. That speaks of a subterranean uh, explosion of some kind. And the windows of heaven were opened. Turn with me. Uh, hold your place there. Go back to Genesis 1. Shouldn't be too hard to find either, should it? So we should get there pretty quick. Genesis 1. And look at verse 6. God said, Let there be a firmament or an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from what? You see, there's two sets of water. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament and also above the firmament and it was so and God called the firmament um, heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day interesting fact here on day two God does not look at it and say it's good I'm going to tell you why I think he said that why he didn't say it was good I think that God knew how many of you believe God knows the future? 
He knows the end from the beginning. I think God knew that one day that the world would be destroyed with water. And I think even as he's creating the water above and the water below, he knows. He knows that millions, perhaps billions of souls are going to die in these waters. Now, on the third day, he says it's good twice, okay? But I just, that, that's, uh, that's a, a, a conspicuous omission there. So what we have, we're back to Genesis 7 now, in verse 11. So what we have, the fountains of the deep are opened up. The pressures, uh, probably like volcanic eruptions, something of that nature. We think of the, the, the extreme water that comes from tsunamis and such. I believe this was a sudden... Um, cataclysmic event. Now, many creation scientists believe that prior to the flood, the waters that were above the earth, you read about that in Genesis 1, the, the earth had a water canopy over the earth. And that's why men lived to be 900 years old back then, is it was kind of a greenhouse effect. Sheltered the earth from the, from the uh, the rays of the sun, which is what causes us to age. And, and after the flood, you do see the lifespans drastically go down, right? So what you have is the subterranean explosion, but you also have something catastrophic in the heavens taking place. The water canopy um, vanishes, or it's, it's empty. Verse 12 says the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. But don't think that it was the rain by, by itself that destroyed all flesh it was the fountains of the deep and the waters above that were opened up this was a massive event now again in verse 13 we're told what that Noah and his family did what they went into the ark <laughs> that's like the third time we're, t we're told about Noah going into the ark isn't it you think God's trying to make a point I think he is every beast all cattle after their kind. Again, it doesn't say every species, but every kind of every sort. Verse 15, and they went in unto Noah into where? We keep being told that, don't we? Two and two of all flesh, everybody, whereas in the breath of life. This is reminiscent also of creation. After God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, what did he do? He breathed unto him the breath of life. Okay, So now we see the reversal of that, the breath of life leaving man. Verse 16, and they went in. They went in. They didn't just stand aloof. They went in. Male and female of how much flesh? All flesh as God had commanded him. Notice again the obedience of Noah is... Uh, is expressed here the flood was 40 days now I missed something big here in verse 16 the end of it that's what happens when you don't preach with notes sometimes notice notice who shut Noah in God did God didn't say alright Noah I'm going to need you to stand here against the door for the next now by the way the flood wasn't just for 40 I mean the flood lasted they were on the boat the, the ark rather not a boat they were on the ark for over a year. And God didn't say, all right, Noah, I'm going to need you to stand here and hold this door. Make sure the water doesn't get in. 
but the Lord shut him in. You see that? God himself shut him in. Now, Dr. Henry Morris brought something out. Now, I don't know how much to make of it, but, but I respect him a lot. He was a creation scientist. And I, I've, you know, I've learned a lot from his commentary about, on Genesis. I highly recommend it. It's not a, big, it's not a small read. It's a big read. But, but in verse 1, the Lord says unto Noah, come into the ark. Um, some of you have got another translation, but, but it says come. He doesn't say go into the ark. It's one thing if I tell you to go somewhere. It's another thing if I tell you to come somewhere. If I tell you to come somewhere, it means that I'm there too. Amen? So the Lord is there with Noah. And the Lord shut him in. He's, he shut him in. Now this is, uh, there's two sides of this. As far as Noah is concerned, he's in the safest place he could possibly be. <laughs> the flood is going to rage all around him. It is going to be the end of the world. But Noah could not have been in a safer place because God was there and God shut him in. Believer, when you come into that ark of safety in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And the Bible says we have been sealed unto the day of redemption. That's, that's good news, folks. That's good news. Praise God. If you've been truly born again, you have been sealed unto the day of redemption. Paul was stated this way in Romans 8. He said, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not a flood, not a demon, not a whatever. You, you just fill in the blank. The other side of that is there was no further chance for people in the world to repent. The door was shut. The window of opportunity had closed. And there will come a time, folks, when the window of opportunity is gone. This was something supernatural, I believe, the Lord shutting him in. This whole thing speaks of supernatural, the animals, everything. The flood was 40 days upon the earth, and now the ark is lifted above the earth. Now the ark's floating. This is not some local thing. Remember how big this boat is? I keep saying a boat, the ark, forgive me. It's bigger than a football field and a half. That's how big it is. It's 450 feet. It's huge, 75 feet wide, four stories tall or three stories. The waters prevailed um, greatly upon the earth. Notice the superlative language. And the ark went upon the face of the waters. The waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth and all the high hills. Everything was covered. The mountains were covered. Verse 21. Now, well, actually verse 20 says, over 20 feet above the mountaintops. Do you see that? Verse 21. How much flesh died? Verse 22. How many people died and perished? All that was on the earth. Verse 23. How much of the living substance died? Every bit of it. Only Noah remained alive and those who were with him where? In the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth for how many days? 150 days. The flood waters were upon 
the earth. So what is our takeaway from this, folks? I want you to go with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, one of the uh, last books of the New Testament before you get to uh, 1 John and Revelation and all that. 2 Peter chapter 3. Jesus Christ said that there is coming a period of time on the world called the tribulation period. And he said, unless those days had been shortened, no flesh would be saved. That's coming, folks. I promise you, it's, it's, it's closer than you think. The people on Noah's day, I wonder if they woke up that day thinking that it would be just like every other day. I'm sure they did. But Jesus said there's coming a time like never before. And unless the days have been shortened, no flesh will be saved. Now God did not leave the people of Noah's day without a witness. Methuselah was a witness. The Bible says that Noah preached. He was a preacher of righteousness. And the ark was being prepared in precise detail. I believe that God is leaving this generation a witness. We see it all around us. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man is revealed. Are we in 2 Peter chapter 3 now? Verse 3 says, knowing this first, that there shall come when? In the last days. That's where we are, folks. Scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. That's what we call uniformitarianism. That's what the evolutionist says, folks. It's billions of years ago that the earth just came into being. And like Andy Woods, I heard him say this week, this foolish evolution theory, it goes like this. From the goo to you by means of the zoo. You know, they believe there was just goo on the face of the earth and the water. And then it magically became an, an animal. And then it magically became human beings. If you believe that, man, you got more faith than anybody in this room. That's, that's, that's foolishness. It's absolute foolishness. From the goo to you by means of the zoo. How about that? All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this... Verse 5, I want you to notice this phrase. They are willingly ignorant. Now some translations say they intentionally suppress the fact that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. How was the earth created? By God speaking. Let there be light, let there be water, let there be earth, let there be... Now notice this phrase here. The heavens were of old, and the earth, notice this phrase, standing out of the water and what? In the water. There's a vapor canopy above. There's subterranean waters beneath. Whereby the, the world that then was. Notice that world is spoken of in the past tense. You notice that? It's because that's a different world than what you and I live in. We don't live in that world. That world was destroyed. That world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Does that sound like a local flood to you? 
But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store. Do you realize the only thing that's keeping Jesus from returning, the only thing that's keeping the tribulation from happening is one word? Do you realize that? One word. And I believe John heard those words in Revelation chapter 4. He said, I heard a voice of a trumpet that said, come up hither. We're going to hear the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with those who have been, who have been uh, died in Christ. And we're going to meet the Lord in the air. One word. And we're going to be gone. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that's how quick it's going to happen. I believe this flood, I believe this thing happened really quickly. I don't believe it was just, you know, the water just rising just ever so slowly, so slowly. I believe it was catastrophic in a moment of time. The fossil records will bear this out, folks. I, I don't have time to get into all the science of it. And I'd be over my pay grade anyway. But the fossil record shows that animals died even while they, had anim while they were eating other animals. Crazy. That means it happened quickly with, with uh, uh, immense pressure. So well, I'm telling you this because the scientists know the, the, the true scientists, we always hear, follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. Listen to me very carefully. Uh, any honest scientist will tell you that there was something catastrophic that happened thousands of years ago that produced these fossils. You got fossils of fish in mountaintops. And you got birds and stuff, that, you know, crazy down in canyons. How do you think the Grand Canyon was formed, folks? I invite you to do your research. How do you think these, these uh, marvels of, uh, of the universe formed? It was by a catastrophic flood. It took place. One word, everything is kept in store. But this time, Peter says, reserved unto fire. God promised Noah he would never destroy the earth with a flood anymore. The next time it will be fire. Against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And he says, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Closing up here. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is what? Long-suffering. Just like he was in the days of Noah. Not willing that any should perish, but that all, everyone, should come to repentance. What does it mean to repent? It means to change your mind. A change of mind which results in a change of action. Folks, the ark has been prepared. Noah working on that ark in precise detail is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who obeyed the Father in every single thing. Jesus Christ is the only human being who ever kept all of God's commands. He kept every one of them. And he was tempted in every way, just like you are and I am. Yet he never sinned. And God allowed him to be a substitute for you and me. He died on the cross for you and for me. So that we might be right with God. He was put in a borrowed tomb. On the third day he rose again. He's alive forevermore, and now he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he is calling men and women, little boys and little girls, to follow him into the ark. Jesus is the ark of safety. You see, the existence of the ark didn't save anybody. 
Just the fact that it was built didn't save anybody. See, Christ died and rose again, but if you refuse to acknowledge and accept that, it won't do you any good. It won't do you a bit of good. You'll be like all those who perished in the days of Noah. But God is saying today, if you will, come into the ark. And you too will be saved. Listen, the tribulation is right around the corner. I promise you it is. We see the harbor, harbingers of it everywhere we look. I don't have time to go into it. If you've been here, you know. You've, you've heard. But listen, you don't know when your day. You don't know when your day's coming. None of us knows when we're going to meet God. The Bible says our life is a vapor. We could be here, for, here today and gone before the day's over with. You never know what a day holds. One thing is true. Every person in this room will stand before God. Everybody. Everybody. And the Bible never says that tomorrow is the day of salvation. It's always today. Today is the day of salvation. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to come to the Lord's table after this altar call. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is your invitation. It may be your last one. There was a day that came in the life of Noah's generation, and it was it. It was the last call, and the door was shut. But God is pleading with you here today through me to be saved because God loves you. God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's also calling the believers now. One day every believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in his body, good or bad. We'll be rewarded or not rewarded accordingly. And there may be things in our lives that are hindering us from, uh, from receiving a full reward or from hearing well done, good and faithful servant. Before we come to the Lord's table and partake of the, uh, the bread and the juice which represent the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, if there's anything in your heart that you need to get right with God, let's take this opportunity whether you come to the altar or whether you just right there in your pew, call on the name of the Lord, maybe just silently if you, you know, God can hear your, your prayers inwardly too. If there's anything between you and the Lord, let's get rid of it before we come to the table. If there's any bitterness or unforgiveness, let's just forgive. Forgiveness is a choice. I'm not going to belabor this point, but I promise you. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. I, I choose to forgive even though I may not feel like it. And what you'll find is that if you'll, by faith, if you'll forgive, your feelings will follow after that. So I'm going to open up the altar now. Would you come?